honored that you would follow us this morning. You could be doing anything you wanted to do, but you've chosen to tune in. And we believe God has something very special for you. And he has something very special for all y'all. All y'all. And just by way of mentioning, which I need to, if you're part of Elevate Family, your giving is very much honored and very much appreciated and your faithfulness in such during this time. And so there should be a giving link down on the bottom of the screen and just simply follow the giving link. Um, and um, it's pretty, pretty simple. So we're t- going to talk about finding treasures in darkness. Come on. Anybody want to find treasures in darkness? Jehovah Sneaky, he likes to hide things not from us, but he hides things for us. Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings and queens to search the matter out. So part of our glory is to find what God has hidden. There are things in darkness that can, there are things, there are gifts that are revealed in the darkness that can only happen or only appear or only come forth in that environment. We don't like darkness, do you? Anybody like darkness? Eh, no, nobody really likes darkness. Here's Psalm, one, here's Psalm 13. Answer me, O Lord. And give light to my darkness, lest I die, is how we feel a lot, right? Lord, answer me in the darkness, and lest I die, I'm overwhelmed, we feel this way. What we have to do is, like, life is set in a specific order. And in the book of Genesis, after mankind fell, God began to speak to man, and he tells us that there are things in life that are not going to be changed, that cannot be changed. These are immutable things. And so what we need to do is understand these immutable things and not resist them, but partner with them. Everybody say this. Friction can become traction. Friction drives you away. Traction drives you forward. And so God says this. These things are not changing. Seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains... This is the condition the world fell into when man fell. God set a specific thing in order and he said, this is what's going to happen and you're going to need to get used to it and you're going to need to understand it and you're going to need to know how to move with this. Seed time and harvest. You cannot harvest unless you're sowing seed. So understand that. We don't get a harvest unless we sow seed. The farmer looks at the ground and wants a crop and he doesn't sow a seed. He's only wishful thinking. It's only wishful thinking. Seed time and harvest is an immutable law, which means if you sow seed, there will be harvest. Do we understand this? The Bible says if we sow to the spirit, we reap eternal life. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. God's not mocked whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Right? Your tithes and offerings are a seed. Your generosity is a seed. Your time is a seed. All of these things are seed that there is a reward that is attached to it. So this is the first thing God says. This is not going to change. We, if, we, if we want a harvest, we have to do this. Then he says this, cold and heat. Seasons are going to change. We're going to go through seasons of life. Seasons are going to change. It's going to be cold sometimes. It's going to be hot sometimes. It's going to be winter and it's going to be summer. There's beauty in winter, isn't there? Right? There's death and devastation can happen in winter. But there's beauty in winter. There's beauty in summer. And death and devastation can happen in summer as well. You can freeze to death or you can die of heat stroke. Either one. It's, they're dangerous environments. But what God is telling us is that things are going to change. No matter what season you're in, it's going to change. You're going to move through seasons. We don't go down. We go up. The Christian doesn't go backwards. We go forward. And if we go backwards, it's a drawing back. God draws back the arrow in order to fire it into a new direction. The kingdom is always forward. This is how the gospel works. This is the call of God on your life. It's now forward. No matter what's happening to you, even if you're going up, you're going to come down, you're going to go through a corkscrew, you're going to go big, big loop-de-loo. You know, this is how we are as the kingdom, but we always move forward. That's what's different about your life in Christ as opposed to before. Before, your life was nothing more than a stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And even though it feels that way sometimes now, your stopping and starting is still progressing you forward. Always. It's the way it works. And so God said, seed time and harvest, summer and winter. Seasons are going to change. In day and night, it's not going to cease. There's going to be day and there's going to be night. Just the way it is. And so what God is telling us is that these things are constants. 
I, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you these things beforehand so that you wouldn't be afraid. I'm telling you what time it is and what's going on so that you would have confidence and you would be sure. And so as a believer, you can prosper in the summer. You can prosper in the winter. You can prosper in the seed time. You can prosper in the harvest. You can prosper in the day and you can prosper in the night. I don't know if you've ever considered that. And I'm going to show you some things in the Bible. They're constants of a fire on fallen world. There is a requirement to give in. There's a changing of seasons. There's day and night. One of the things we got to come to terms with. So this is just by way of context. This is just by way of understanding. Fear is a constant. Can I get a witness? Right? Fear is ever present with us. Ever present. It is a common and dominant human emotion. It is. It, it, it literally was born into our line when Adam fell. Adam hid. Why did he hide himself? Because he was what? Afraid. That's right. Fear was incepted at the fall. Fear was incepted at the separation. Fear is constant. We're, and where does fear come from? Fear comes from the unknown. If you know, you're not really afraid. But fear is the unknown. It's the variables that we can't control. And so what happens is the unknown produces anxiety, right? And anxiety produces fear. And you know what fear is? There's all kinds of fear, man. You got, you got multiple flav, flav, uh, flavors of fear. We have suffocating fear. Come on. Where you, you feel like you can't breathe. You have terrorizing fear where you're just completely freaking out and you want to run away. Yeah, come on. We should be well acquainted with this. We're humans. Then you have paralyzing fear where you're just frozen and you can't move. And then there's the everyday jittery fear where you're just jumpy and nervous and you don't know why. Fear is a common emotion. The first thing you have to do is accept and understand that this is a common emotion and it's common to everyone. Say it with me. Fear is natural. But we are not natural. We are what? Supernatural. That's what we are. So if we understand that what fear is, fear is not of God. Fear is a common emotion to man. Fear is a natural emotion to man. But we're not a common people and we're not a natural people. We're a supernatural people. Darkness produces the unknown. This is why we get afraid. Darkness, not just environmentally, but darkness in the unknown. What does the future hold? You can't see what's there, right? That's why we leave lights on in our house because we don't want to walk into a dark house because we don't know what's there. We put lights on in our yard. We hear noises. (laughs) When you can't see what's there, you're anxious. When you don't know how long something's going to last, can I get a witness? That's what we're doing with today. This is what's going on in our world today. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how long this is going to last. You don't know where you are, and you don't know where you're going. All of those unknowns are what produces uncertainty, and uncertainty produces fear. And the unknown stirs emotions. Emotions. And emotions oftentimes stirs reactions. This is a good one. Darkness has no power. Did you know that? Darkness is a void. Darkness has no power. It is merely an empty space. It is merely a void. Darkness has power only in what you agree with or only in what you fill the void with. Then the darkness has power, but the darkness has no power. Satan himself has no power but by agreement. He has no power. He had no power over Adam. He had no power over Eve. He had to get them into an agreement. He had to create a void, the space between him and God. He had to create the separation, and then he had to fill the void with man's will. Darkness has no power. The power of darkness is found in your perceptions. Yep. You can be in a dark place and you can go, oh my gosh, I don't know what's there. Or you can be in a dark place and go, man, what's here? I know there's something here somewhere. I know there's an opportunity somewhere. And that darkness is filled with the void of either your fear and terror or your faith. That's the space that's created by darkness. Darkness doesn't have power. He doesn't. Lucifer doesn't have power. Lucifer has power in the rights that he has with you, in the agreements that you have made, the lies that you believe, or the ancestral sins that are embodied upon your life. That is the only power the enemy has over you. 
The only power he has is through the wounds and traumas that have been created in your life, the lies that you subconsciously believe. You don't believe you're loved. You don't believe you're worthy. You don't believe you're deserving. You don't believe it's going to work out. Every lie, everything, every thought that you believe that is contrary to the word of God, he, he claims as his right. If the, and it's not in your mind. Christians were trained to live by the mind. The inception is in the soul. The soul is the problem. That's why there's such a contradiction. There's a separation between what we think and what we do. Because what we think isn't the problem. The compulsions don't lie within the mind. The compulsions lie within the soul. You're like, why did I do that? I didn't want to do that. Why do I act like that? Why do I feel like that? Why do, why do these things occur? Because it's the reaction in the soul. If you believe you're not loved, he's going to afflict you every single time. But I know I'm loved. No, you believe you're not loved. And he's going to manifest that to you. And he's going to make you dance like a puppet every single time. He's rampant. Christians, and, they, and they'll sit there and go, I know I'm loved. God loves me. God loves me. But they act in ways that, that you know, they freak out. If you knew you were loved, you wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't be afraid. If you knew that you were loved, you, if you knew the gift of God that was before you, you would ask. The fact that you are afraid, listen, the fact that you are afraid, you know what it's telling you? I just had this whole thing on discerning of spirits, right? We talk about discerning of spirits. Gifts of the spirit, the discerning of spirits. Like we're walking around going, spirit of this, spirit of that. Like we're calling stuff out around us. What if discerning of spirits was the ability to call stuff out within you? No, let's just think about that for a minute. What if the real operation or one of the most powerful operations of the discerning of spirits was to begin to identify stuff that's in you? Hmm? Why do I react that way? Why, what is causing me to react that way? You begin to discern it. What's happening? That's the spirit of fear. What is the root of the spirit of fear? You don't believe you're loved. What do you mean I don't believe I'm loved? If you believed you're loved, you would not be acting like this. If you believe Jesus, we believe it with our mind, but our hearts, this is where the issue is. This is one of the things that darkness does is it exposes us. This is where God wants to bring his church. Mene, mene, tackle, you parson. Measured, measured, weighed, weighed. That's what God is doing. Measuring, measuring, weighing, weighing. In this hour right now. Faith is being tested. I can assure you. I can assure you. Read the first chapters of the book of Revelation. What is Jesus doing? Anybody know? You want to know what Jesus is doing? Read it. He's walking where? Where's he walking? In the lampstands. And what are the lampstands? His churches. Seven letters to the seven churches. The completion of his church. He's looking at a complete form of his church. And he's walking. Where is he walking? In the midst of the lampstands. And what is he examining? Well, the first thing he's examining is the leader. To the angel. To the messenger of the church. That's the first thing he's looking at. Uno is here. Where's the leadership? What's the reaction of the leadership? What direction is the leadership? Where is the faithfulness of the leadership? And then he looks at the people. But he always looks here first. And he's doing it right now. In this hour. Jesus is mene mene tekel you parson right now in this hour. In the midst of his lampstands, he's examining his church. This is a heavenly opportunity to, to look at the church globally. Fact. Like in this hour, your life is literally being examined. Your faith is being tested. It is. And you all know it. You feel tested, don't you? You feel pressure on every side. Trouble in the city, trouble in the country, trouble outside, trouble inside. Trouble up there, trouble over there. Trouble in the bank account. Trouble in the, you know, just trouble everywhere. Your faith is being tested. And what's happening in you is a reaction of what, is, what the enemy has on you. Common emotions. Listen, we all move through fear. But there's a difference between the emotion of fear and the bondage of fear. There's a major difference. You can feel fear but not react out of it. You can feel fear and not make decisions based upon fear. You can feel fear and not be paralyzed by it. Big difference. Big difference. Jesus felt fear, not the bondage of fear. My soul is in travail. My soul is being poured out unto death. Why do you take me? I was among you all the time. This is the emotion of fear. It's not the bondage of fear. He felt fear because he's human. You will feel fear because you're human, but you are not a slave to fear. You are a child of God. And if you knew you were a child of God, 
then in this time of darkness, you would not be looking for despair. You would be looking for opportunities. In this time of darkness, you would not be looking for destruction. You would be looking for the hidden treasures that lie within the darkness that your father has promised you. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You need to grab yourself and you need to rouse yourself in faith. We're going down. Oh, we're going down. No, we're not. We're going over. My God is the God of the resurrection. If the house burns down, then up from the ashes we rise. Doesn't matter. He gives beauty for ashes. So even if everything is lost, it can be regained. Even if everything dies, it can be resurrected. Where's your faith? Who are we? This is what we got to come to terms with. We have to come to terms with this. We are a supernatural people. And we're called to demonstrate faith. God wants to know, do you know who you are? He wants to know, do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? The God of the resurrection. I'm the God who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it was. Calls what is not as though it was. Just think about that for a minute. Everybody's calling it like what like it is. God says, I'm going to call it what is not, even though it is. Despair, I say hope. Failure, I say success. Going down, I say going over. That's how Jesus talks. That's how he talks. Oh, he's dead. The boy's in the fire, right? Right? Jesus just comes down from manifesting his glory. Takes him up on the mountaintop. Mount of transfiguration. And the Lord, what a day that would have been, manifests himself into his Shekinah. The Shekinah glory was manifested through the sun in body form before those three disciples. They saw the Shekinah, the abiding presence. (laughs) What a day. And Peter's like, wow, man, we need to stay here forever. You probably would be too. Overwhelmed with the fullness of who he is. Overwhelmed with him manifesting. And they go back down into the valley. And there's a boy in the valley. If you can do anything for us, help us, Lord. Have compassion on us and help us. We went to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. Your church is powerless. Jesus goes, faithless generation. I love it. He rebukes the whole generation. He didn't rebuke the disciples. He rebuked the entire generation. Faithless generation. How long must I bear with you? What is he looking for? He's looking for faith. What kind of faith? Get out of the boat. That kind of faith. Touch the hem of his garment. That kind of faith. Unreasonable, extraordinary, crazy faith that God is going to do something. We were riding in the car with Alex and I was talking to him about a word that we got in prayer. And somebody told us something to do. And they said, this is, what, this is what I feel like God is saying to you. And you need to believe God for this and then you need to ask him for that. And as I was meditating on that word, the, the words of Samuel came to me. The Bible says that Samuel was a prophet. And the Lord did not allow one of his words to fall to the ground. Isn't that wild? So even if the Lord didn't say it, Samuel did. The Lord goes, I'll back that up. I'll back that up. (laughs) I declare this and this. This is what's going to happen. And Jesus goes, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'll back that up. What if he wouldn't let one of your words fall? What if he wouldn't? What if he would support you? What if he would sustain you in this hour? What if your faith, even their faith, he wouldn't let you fall? Just like Peter. Radical, crazy faith in the midst of a storm. In the midst of a storm, the minority gets out of the boat. The rest of them stayed in the shelter. Stayed in the storm. Wind and waves. We're sinking, Lord. Peter goes, I want to walk. I want to ride the waves with you. He gets out of the boat. Jesus didn't let him sink. Jesus didn't let him drown. He commended the faith, even though his faith was small. Little faith can walk on the water. What can big faith do? (laughs) If little faith can walk on the water... What can big faith do? That's the question. Darkness has no power. It is a void. 2 Corinthians 2 says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Say, get yourself right here. Let's give yourself one of these. Give you a little one of those, right? Tell yourself, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. You have to encourage yourself. You have to exhort yourself. No one is going to encourage you but you. You are the greatest encourager you're ever going to get. And if you don't learn to exhort yourself and you don't learn to encourage yourself, you're going to find a lot of hopelessness in your life. I do it all the time. I talk to myself in the mirror. I talk to myself in the car. People think I'm crazy. Say, you're nuts, Kevin. I always say I'm screwed onto the right bolt. I may be a nut, 
But I'm attached to the right bolt. I can tell you that's for sure. I speak faith into my life. I speak declaration. I grab myself. I rouse myself. And you will not do this. This is not the way this is going to happen. You will not react this way. You will not do that. I will confront the issues within my life. I will find the roots of why these behaviors exist. Church, we, this, this, is, this, is, this is gospelanity. This isn't churchianity. This is the gospel of the kingdom. God wants to develop you. As Christians, we think we're fully developed. You're not. You're not. It's an ongoing process. I've walked with Jesus for decades, and I'm still being developed. I've arrived. Good luck. Paul said, I, I haven't obtained. <laughs> There's the, nobody who put his foot on the gas quite like Paul. Paul put his foot on the gas. Paul was all in on that gospel from day one. He was all in. And what was his message towards the end? He's like, look, I'm not saying I've obtained. One thing I do know, I forget the past and I press towards the future. I keep moving forward. I keep looking at the issues. I deal with the issues. I'm not living by mistakes. I'm not living by failures. I'm not living by circumstances from my past. I'm dealing with the now and I'm moving forward. Moving forward. Don't lose heart. Our light affliction. (laughs) Our light affliction. This is a church that's being persecuted. Hunted. Hunted like dogs. Slain with swords. Torn by lions. Lit on fire and pitched. Burned alive. Burned alive. And Paul said, it's a light affliction. Right? It's a light affliction. If being dipped in pitch and being dipped in pitch and burnt on a stake, alive, barbecued, literally, is a light affliction, then, then what, are, what, if, what are we dealing with? Our light affliction is but for a moment. It's for a moment. It's passing like the changing of seasons. It's passing like the night into day. It's passing. For a slight affliction, which is but for a moment. What is it doing? It's working a glory into your life. An exceeding weight of glory. What God is trying to do is manifest his goodness in your life in this time. Hmm? And part of his goodness is your personal transformation. One of the things darkness does or weight does or transformation does or these things do is that God wants to transform you. He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. To the American church, I would say, Jesus is not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. He's not fluffing pillows for you. That's not his goal. His goal isn't to make sure the room temperature is exactly as you like it. And there's no problems in your life. That's not his goal. His goal is to develop you into a world changer. His goal is to train you for a world to come. This world is a dress rehearsal for the world to come. You will be rewarded as a believer in this life for how you were in, or in the next life for how you were in this world. Your reward is based upon everything that you've done, the development that you had, the endowments that you received, what you did with those endowments, the fullness of your development, the weight of character that God was allowed to place upon your life in this world will determine your future leadership. will be determined in that world. We will rule nations. Long story, won't get into it. But you need to look at this life as a dress rehearsal. This life is, an, this life is nothing. It's a vapor. It's passing away. You will rule for eternity. For eternity. Kings and queens eternally. Princes and princesses eternally. You will rule the nations. Will everybody? Based upon what they did. Their reward will be equal. It will be meted in equal measure. Faithfulness and the basics... And faithfulness towards your destiny. God will examine the believer based upon the basics. Did you know my word? Did you pray? Did you intercede? Did you stand in the gap? Were you that guy? Did you commit and connect to church? Did you financially give? Did you live on mission? Those are the basics. That's graduate preschool. Right? Graduate elementary school. Then he's going to base our lives upon the other places that we went. The places of destiny. And really what it comes down to is the mandate that's over your life. It's not about... The measure that God will weigh his people upon is in direct proportion to the mandate that he gave you personally. The mandate that he gives this church corporately. We're not measured by the church down the street. We're measured by the mandate that was placed over us. And our faithfulness unto it and our effectiveness towards it. Not as the culture sees, but as the kingdom sees. Let's listen to a guy. I forget the guy's name, but Sherry turned me on to this uh, 
guy and um, probably never heard of him. I heard his name, but this is a guy you probably never heard of. But he's, I can't, he's so famous, I can't even remember his name. But he's doing a work in Mexico and has been doing this work in Mexico for decades. And when you listen to this guy talk, it's like, David Hogan. David Hogan. Anybody heard of David Hogan? Anybody know him? No, see? I've heard of him, but I never heard him, right? And when he talks, the weight that this guy carries. And, and when I listen to him talking, the only thing he's trying to do is what Jesus told him to do. That's it. Not what the culture approves, not what the churches approve, not what we celebrate, but only what Jesus celebrates. And here's a guy doing unknown things in unknown places, yet you feel like, I feel it even now when I'm talking about him. There's just this, you know, you can just feel this power. And I was trying to discern, what is it that I'm sensing with this guy? I feel a weight with this dude that I don't feel with a lot of people, but I feel it when I'm listening to this guy. What is it? And I felt like the Lord was, I heard the word mandate. And I felt like the Lord says he's faithful to the mandate I've given him. Man. He doesn't have an anointing because he's got 30,000 people in his church. He's a mandate and he has an anointing and an empowerment and the glory upon his life because he is, he's older, he's in his 70s, might even be close to 80 because he has spent his life fulfilling the mandate and the weight of glory and substance is on his life. And you can tell when the brother talks. You can tell. And where does that come from? You can't buy that. That's an endowment. That is endowed upon his life because of the faithfulness that he has done unto the mandate that has been given to him. That's what we're called to do. We're all called to this. We're called to this. This is a kingdom to gain, people. Say, I already have the kingdom. Yeah, you have entrance, but where's your reward? Where's your reward? I want, I want as much as I can get. No man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No person is a fool to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. It's eternity. This life is but a moment, man. It's a vapor. Dust in the wind. It truly is. It truly is. And we have to look at this. Our light affliction is but for a moment, but it will do something in our lives if we'll let it. We do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Faith is the weapon against fear. And what does faith say? Faith doesn't look at the natural surroundings, the natural circumference of things. Faith looks at the eternal. Faith looks at something that doesn't exist to our natural eyes. We live according to our divine destiny. We live according to our divine identity. We're sons and daughters. We live by faith. Right? We're sons and daughters. We don't believe that anything is going to destroy us. What can separate me from the love of God? God works all things out to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus is going to work this out. I don't know how, but he said he's going to. My faith says he will. What's your faith say? Right? Our faith is not in the substance of this world. Our faith is in the substance of his kingdom. I live in this world too. I know how hard this is. This isn't easy. This isn't natural. It's supernatural. Here's Isaiah 45. This is my point. (laughs) Took you a long time to get your point, Kevin. Well, pray for me. I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret places, that you may know that I am the Lord and I called you by name. Ha ha. There's treasures in the darkness. Know what he said? There are treasures in the dark places. What are those treasures? We're going to talk a little bit about it. This verse is given in context to a king who had a prophetic word over his life. Isaiah speaking this about a king who's yet to come. Spoken probably 150 to 200 years before Cyrus ever appeared. Isaiah's prophesying. What's happening in the nation of Israel is in a downward spiral. In about 80 to 100 years, somewhere in that time frame, they would fall captivity to the Babylonians and their nation would be gone forever. And God is giving them a word of prophecy before it ever happens. And in Isaiah 45, he calls the king by name. A king's going to come and he's going to be my servant. His name's going to be Cyrus. And this is what's going to happen with Cyrus. And then he says to Cyrus, when you come forth and you're... And what was Cyrus doing? Cyrus had a calling. And as he followed his calling, God said, I'm going to give you the hidden riches of darkness. He took Babylon without, without firing a shot. He laid waste to the whole Babylonian kingdom. He dammed a river and went under the walls. Babylon was an impenetrable city. It was an impossible situation. 
But this guy used engineers, dammed up a river. The river dried up, and they went right under the walls and the riverbed and took a whole city without firing a shot. And when he took Babylon, it was almost 400 pounds of gold in what city alone? It was over a billion dollars in the city of Babylon alone. Hidden riches in darkness. Riches waiting for you that you didn't do, you didn't build. And what Cyrus did over a period of time and what his empire did is he began to multiply that money. Eventually, uh, eventually um, Alexander would conquer the Persians. And when he conquered the Persians, Cyrus was a Mede and the, per- the empire was the Medo-Persian empire. So it's the same empire. The Persians conquered the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians became in power, and then the Greeks rose to power, and the Greeks conquered the world. And when Alexander took Susa, which was the treasure capital of Persia, there was 50 times that amount of gold. 50 times. And Alexander didn't just conquer uh, Persia. He conquered Egypt as well. And it's written that the the gold of Persia was... uh, The gold of Egypt paled in comparison to the gold of Persia. But why would God do that? Because Cyrus had a mandate on his life. The mandate that was on Cyrus's life was that, Cyrus, you are going to come to power. You're going to release my people and you're going to fund this kingdom. That's what happened to Cyrus. That was the mandate on Cyrus's life. When the children of Israel were released, Cyrus let them go. He gave them gold. He gave them all the riches that they needed to go and rebuild Israel. And then not only did he give them the money, he gave them a letter that said, anything else you need, you just take it. You need timber, I got you. You need tile, you need wood, you need beams, you need whatever you need. I have it and it's going to happen and I'm paying for it. The royal treasury paid for the funding of that kingdom. Why was Cyrus enriched? Why was the hidden treasures given to him? Not because Cyrus was a good guy, but because Cyrus understood a mandate that was on his life. Yeah. The Jews were the only people in the history of the ancient world that were allowed to keep their worship. There was not one kingdom that subdued them that took away their worship. Every other kingdom lost their gods. Everyone except the Jews. When Cyrus, when Cyrus read that, and I can guarantee the book of Isaiah was read to Cyrus. Cyrus was like, who's this God? It's what happened with, um, and the Greeks were the worst. The Greeks, would, the Greeks would Hellenize the world. They subjected everybody to the Hellenistic gods, to Zeus, Apollo. Everybody had to worship those gods, except one nation, Israel. And why? Because Daniel proclaims the coming of the king, of, of the, king the, the, the prince of, of, of Greece, proclaims his coming. And you can rest assured that they read those documents to that king and said, we've known you've been coming. Our God has told us. And these wise people go, whoa, (laughs) this is a God who speaks truth. And they allowed that to happen. But Cyrus had a mandate on his life and his the riches and the things that came to him were in direct relationship to the mandate that's on his life. This is what will happen to the people of God. We have to understand this from the context of the kingdom. If you will fulfill the mandate that's over your life, you will discover the mandate over your life, your individual mandate, your corporate mandate. You will begin to do that. You will begin to pursue these things. God will open things up to you that are closed to everybody else. He will give you access to things that are closed to everybody else. You've got to be, but you have to be faithful in the little in order to be entrusted with the much. And you've got to really believe that there's something about your life that you're not of this world. That you are of his world and that everything comes, flows from his world. You've got to believe that. Treasures in darkness. There are treasures in the darkness. There are material treasures in the darkness. There's emotional treasures in the darkness. And there's spiritual treasures in the darkness. What's your perception? There's treasures in this darkness. In this dark hour in which the world finds itself. It's a shadow, but it's a dark. There are treasures to be found. They exist. This is what faith has to tell you. You have to first believe that there is an opportunity in this time. You have to believe that that opportunity can be found and that they exist only in the dark. There are opportunities that come only now. Wealth transfers are happening right now. Wealth transfer only happens in down economies. I've said this multiple times. Wealth transfers only happen during a collapse. Wealth is transferred. Wealth of nations is transferred. Wealth of businesses is transferred. Wealth of families is transferred. In this time. It's happening right now. And if you will look for the opportunities, they're there. They're there. They are. Some of you, I've told a couple of you, you're going to have an opportunity to rent a space that you wouldn't be able to get before. 
You wanted to be in Coral Gables? Coral Gables is going to be open to you. Man, I always wanted to put a salon in Coral Gables. Guess what? (laughs) There's going to be a window of opportunity that will be open, but that window is going to be small. It won't go on forever, but there will be a window of opportunity. There'll be a window to acquire things, to invest in things, to make moves in directions that were never there. You have an opportunity. Companies have shed a lot of people during this time. What's going to happen is they're going to rehire. And where they typically get rid of, if they get rid of management positions, because they're the higher paid positions. And when they get rid of the management positions, they shed them. The company grows. They need to rehire. You always wanted a management promotion. Good news. Opportunity is coming. Opportunity is knocking. There's treasures in this darkness. And so if you want an opportunity and you want a promotion, during this time, you need to be preparing yourself. You need to be upgrading yourself now. Prepare your resume. Don't wait for the season to change. Get your resume together. If you need Excel skills, go get Excel skills. Whatever it is. I don't know. Java? I mean, I don't know what you do. But, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever mad skills. Don't laugh at me, Matt. Whatever mad skills you have or you don't have, you need to go and get them right now. Prepare yourself in this time. Use it as a season of preparation. And if you prepare yourself and then you position yourself for the blessing. Say this with me. There's no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as luck. There is ready. No such thing as luck, only ready. Let's say tomorrow that management position opens up and here's these qualifications, but you didn't spend the time filling your resume and meeting those qualifications. And somebody said, hey, we'd like to consider you for the job. Give us your resume, but your resume doesn't meet the qualifications and your neighbor got it. You go, oh, he was lucky. No, he was ready and you weren't. This is how the game is played. No such thing as luck, only ready. Does it require risk? Of course it requires risk. Part of this kingdom is a kingdom of risk. Risk. Jesus is all about risk. He risked everything for you and me. It's all about risk. Emotional treasures that are happening. There's things that are happening right now. There's a treasure. There's an opportunity now in this time for you to be developed emotionally in a way that you wouldn't be in a normal time. You're being confronted with all these negative emotions, all this junk that's been with you for a long time that's stirring up now. You need to deal with that. You need to deal with it. You need to go, what is it in me that causes me to react this way? Why am I paralyzed? Why am I immobilized? Why am I overwhelmed consistently? What is it, Lord? You won't like the answer, but the answer's good. You won't like it. This is why Christians can't hear the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's supposed to lead us into truth and supposed to develop us. supposed to change us. But we don't want to hear him because he says things we don't like to hear. That's why. We just want shiny, happy people all the time. And we dull his spirit. We don't want him to tell us what our issues are. We don't want him to tell us that you're thinking the wrong way. Why can't I move forward? You don't think correctly. Oh, that's nonsense. Why can't, why is this happening? Why am I removing this way? Why is this going on in my life? What's going on with me, Lord? You don't believe you're loved. Oh, that's nonsense. That's, I rebuke you, devil what we do but these are the very things that are going on in our lives that stir up in us in order that god can change you in order that god can transform you there's emotional treasures and there's spiritual treasures we're not to live according to the concourses of this world ephesians says when we were non-believers we moved down the concourses of this world you know what a concourse is you work in an airport you live in an airport you ever travel in an airport you know what a concourse is everybody's just moving down the concourse to a departure point The Bible is telling us that we don't move down the concourses of this world. We don't move to the world's departure point. Where the world is jumping off, we're not jumping off there. When the world is parading and moo-cowing down a certain lane, we don't go there. We are not bound to the concourses of this world. When the world's economy is going this way, we're not bound to it. You don't have to get on that conveyor belt and ride down to the exit gate. You are not part of the concourses of this world. Again, this is what the scripture tells you. We either believe this stuff or we don't. Without faith, it's impossible to please. And we have to begin to believe this stuff and adapt this mentality into our lives. This has to be how we think. This has to be our perception. This has to be how we live. Our decisions and our reactions are to be faith-driven, not emotionally driven. Count it all joy. (laughs) James chapter 1. Count it all joy. This is what I'm talking about. 
This is why James says count it all joy. Not because trials are fun. They're not. Trials aren't fun. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Pain, pain is not fun. Difficulty is not fun. Adversity is not fun. None of this stuff is fun. But what it does is it, what does it do? It tests our faith. It proves our faith. It gives us an opportunity to see where our faith is weak. It gives us an opportunity to exercise our faith in a new way. And it transforms us if we'll let it. Let it have, let patience have its perfect work. That you may be able to lack nothing. And if you don't know what to do, here's the next thing. So if you're in a circumstance, this trial that's on you is trying to do something if you'll allow it. We just go, Lord, do whatever you want to do. What if you ask him, Lord, what do you want to do? What are you doing right now? I'm testing your faith. How are you testing my faith? I'm showing you where the weak points are. I'm showing you where the gaps are in your faith. I'm showing you where the enemy has a hold on you. What if you began to pursue this stuff and press into this stuff? What kind of reality or what kind of truth would come to you during this time? If you don't know what to do, the Bible says ask. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask of the Lord. But if you don't ask in faith, you're double-minded in all your ways. (laughs) You're not going to get anything. This word patience is kind of a weak translation in my opinion. It's actually the word endurance and it means sustaining power and consistency. That's what it means. Let endurance have its perfect work. Endurance is a better word than patience. Endurance. What it's doing is it's building up your endurance. We got people here who run a 5K. We had breakfast a while back ago with a bunch of guys. Remember that? And uh, Rudy shows up. I'm like, Rudy, you look good, man. I like the shoes. He's like, oh, yeah, I just ran a 5K before I came here for breakfast this morning. Like, the dude runs a 5K before breakfast. Eh? Like, who does that? And we all start going, yeah. I'm going to the gym later myself, you know. We all start, like, doing that. But what happens is, is that it builds endurance. He didn't run a 5K just by waking up in the morning and go, hey, I'm going to go run a 5K. He had to build that endurance up. You want the mountain, you have to build up your endurance. And the Bible is telling us that circumstances upon you is what builds endurance. Resistance builds endurance. Our whole gym culture is based on the concept of endurance and resistance. You don't build muscle without resistance, right? You don't build strength without resistance. You don't build heart capacity, lung capacity without endurance and resistance. Anybody who's ever run, your whole body is screaming, right? Lungs are burning, hearts pounding. Then you break through the wall and then you get your second wind and then all of a sudden things change. But until you break through that wall, there's a barrier. So enduring, sustaining power, trials are tests for promotion. What if your trial was a test for promotion? What if God wanted to upgrade you? What if Jesus believed more in you than you believed in yourself? What if he looked at you and said, I believe in this guy so much. I believe in him so much that I'm going to promote him. But let me test him to see if he can handle the promotion. Let's let the test come. The test comes upon you. It happens and God is examining you in order not to disqualify you, but to promote you. He's not looking at you to disqualify you. He's looking at you to promote you. He always wants to take you higher. Say this with me. I may settle for mediocrity, but Jesus never will. Yeah, that's right. You may settle for what is mediocre, but he never will. That's what the spirit of God in you will never settle for mediocrity. He will be constantly trying to drive you forward. Trials test your faith to show where you're strong. So what Peter says, purify you as gold. 1 Peter 1, 7. It will bring much praise and glory and honor in the day of Jesus Christ. See, there you are. Reward. Transformation. Purification. If your faith remains strong, don't quit in the trial. Discovering the treasures. How do we discover the treasures? The first way you discover the treasures is stay faithful. That's, that's, That's numero uno. If God, if, you, if, you're, if you're commanded to stand the post, so we're soldiers. This is one of the things, that, one of the images that God gives of his people. We're sons and daughters. We're emissaries. We're ambassadors. We're overcomers. We're victorious. We're servants. We're friends. All of these are images of what we are. One of the other images is a faith, is a soldier. And if you're, as a soldier, if you're commanded to stand the post and they show up and you're not at your post, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. And so we're commanded to stand a post. We're commanded to be faithful in season and out. We're soldiers under command. Soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life, Paul told Timothy. You're a soldier. Do your job. You're a soldier. Don't quit. You're a soldier. Don't complain. Do what you're told. 
And one of the callings of a soldier and one of the callings actually of a servant is to be faithful. We have to be faithful in this time. Faithfulness is not a de- test of faithfulness is in abundance and in lack. And if you're in a lack situation, you need to be faithful. If you're in an abundant situation, you need to be faithful. Instant, in season and out. Let us be considered as servants of Christ and stewards. Stewards. We are the carriers of the mysteries of God. Moreover, what is required of these carriers of the mysteries of God is that they be found faithful. It's the first thing you need to do is be faithful. Be faithful. Don't run. Have the right perspective. This is the big thing. Jesus is the light in the darkness. Did you know that? doesn't matter how dark it is. You want a treasure in the darkness? Jesus is it. He's there. He doesn't have any issues with darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. It's never failed for the day to rise. The sun will rise tomorrow. You can mark it down. It's going to happen. How do you know? Because Jesus said so. As long as the earth remains, there will be day and night. Unless the earth goes away, there's going to be day and night. The sun's going to rise. Jesus is the light in your darkness. If you're looking for someone or something in the dark times, look for Jesus. Number two, this is the spiritual treasures we have. He won't leave you in the darkness. God's not going to leave you in the darkness. Right? Be strong and courageous. This is Deuteronomy. So these people in the book of Deuteronomy are about to embark upon a great journey. They're about to go in a land that they have never seen before, filled with milk and honey, overflowing with great abundance. But they have to fight and overcome the adversity that is before them. They have to contend for the promises that God has set before them. And they're freaking out. (laughs) How do you know they're freaking out? Because Moses says to them, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified for the Lord is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's where that verse comes from. That's the original use. That's the first use. Deuteronomy. God's like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. In the midst of adversity, I'm with you. In the midst of the darkness, I'm here. And here's, the, here's my favorite one. Jesus does his best work in the dark. Do you know that? Jesus does his best work in the dark. Where do you get that from? Genesis chapter 1. Now the, dark, now the earth was firmless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And God's spirit was on the water. Just because it's dark, it doesn't mean God's spirit's not moving. In the darkness, his spirit was moving. God was forming in the darkness. He created the earth in darkness. He creates babies in darkness. He created Eve in the darkness of sleep. Seeds are metamorphosed. Seeds are transformed from one state to another through darkness. What if in this darkness, God, like a baby, could form something into you that you didn't even know was possible because of the darkness that you're in? What if in this time, God would do a formation in you of something that relates to your future that you eventually would give birth to? What if he was doing that? What if he, like Eve, and during this dark time, was going to pull something out of you that you didn't even know was there? (laughs) That's what he did to Adam. He pulled Eve right out of him. He's like, whoa, man, where did this come from? What if in this darkness, God was going to pull something out of you that you didn't even know was there? What if he was going to transform you? Unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it cannot produce a harvest. What if he took the seed of your life and began to put it in the soil that is dark and hidden? And in this darkness, he began to metamorphose. That finally your faith would rise. For the first time in your life, Christian, this darkness would force your faith to rise. For the first time in your life, Christian, the seed of your life would finally die. Your pride would die and God Christ would begin to live in you. What would happen then? Your reliance would no longer be on yourself. Your reliance would be upon him. What would happen? He would prepare you in the darkness. David was prepared in the backside of a desert. We all celebrate David, great hero of the faith. The Bible says he was on the backside of a desert. That means you had to go to the desert in order to even get to the dude. You talk about darkness. You want to talk about being forgotten. Then he was trained. God trained David on the backside of a desert where nobody was seeing. He prepares kings in the darkness. Hey, remember when we used to have cameras? Remember 35 millimeter? Anybody remember that? Hey, remember 35 millimeter? You used to have to take your, your 35 millimeter down and you'd have to get the film exposed or get it developed, Right? It's developed in a what? A dark room, right? So this is how images are formed. Images are formed by exposure to the light, but the images are developed in the darkness. This is what God is doing. And if you take an image and you expose it to the light too soon, the image is lost. Come on. 
It's true. And then you know what you got to do? You got to do retakes. So what if Jesus was doing something with you? What if he's exposed you to his light and he is now developing you in darkness? What if he's doing that to you? What if in the shadow of the unseen, in the shadow of the unknown, in the shadow of these circumstances, God wants to do something and develop your life? What if that's happening? If you run from it and you get out of the position, you have to do a retake, right? Used to happen with wedding photographers because there was no digital camera. They'd come home and they'd see that all of the wedding photos would be blurred. Anybody ever seen that happen? And they'd have to do retakes. So you'd have to go rent that tux again, have to go to that place and, and have a retake. You don't want to have a retake. You want to get the picture right the first time. Because if God's trying to develop you and he's trying to bring forth an image out of your life and imago who you are. And you keep jumping out of the dark room every time he's trying to develop you. You keep jumping out of the development process every time he's trying to transform you. He has to keep doing retakes. He's not going to quit. You quit. He doesn't. So he keeps trying to push your life into this retake position because his desire is to fully form that image. His desire is to fully reveal that image. So don't resist when he's doing that. And say this. Darkness is not a sign that Jesus isn't working. Okay, so we're in summertime here in Miami, and it gets dark, what, like 8.30, right? So if I walk outside at 10 o'clock at night, and then I walk outside at 3 o'clock in the morning, it looks exactly the same, doesn't it? Doesn't it? 10 p.m., the dark, when darkness sets in, looks exactly the same as 3 p.m. But there's one difference. Once you pass midnight, a new day's already begun. Understand that? We're in darkness, Right? And we pray and we seek the Lord and we cry out to God and we faithfully say, man, I've been faithful. I've been faithful and nothing's changing. What if it's three o'clock in the morning? What if Jesus has already brought you from 10 p.m. through the midnight hour and now you're at three o'clock? You understand that? Darkness cannot stop your day from dawning. Darkness cannot stop your day from coming. The only thing that can stop you is if you quit. That is the only thing that stops the believer ever. Is quitting. That is the only thing. And just because it's dark outside, you don't know what time it is. Sun rises in three hours. The midnight hour is a good thing. I don't know if you know that. The midnight hour is great because it means your worst is over and your best is yet to come. You passed the midnight hour, man. You passed it. You passed your midnight hour. Your worst is over. Your best is yet to come. Why do you think Paul and Silas, they sung during the midnight hour? Anybody know the verse? I got to hear it in the verse. I'm scared. Paul and Silas were beaten to a pulp. Beaten. Okay, here's the deal. Beaten. Beaten with rods. Many lashes were laid upon him, the Bible says. What's many lashes? Many lashes. I, don't, I think one lash is a lot. Okay? Many lashes. One thing Paul says, he says, I was beaten with whips. I was beaten with rods. Beaten with rods. You think the whip's bad? What does a rod look like, man? Is it like a bamboo rod? Is it like a, you know, what, what exactly are they whacking you with? He was beaten with rods, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. He's there chained to the floor with Silas next to him. And the Bible says in the midnight hour. <laughs> in the midnight hour, they began to sing. They had no reason to sing. I imagine they're just waking up and they're probably beaten unconscious. And Paul wakes up, semi-conscious, and goes, oh, wow, the worst is over. And they begin to sing. The worst is over. What if your worst was over? Why wouldn't you sing? I'm still in prison. It doesn't matter. Your worst is over. I'm still in chains. It doesn't matter. I'm still in the circumstances. It doesn't matter. What if the worst is over? What if, what if midnight had already passed? Darkness cannot stop your day from coming. At midnight hour, they sang praises to God. Did they have any? Let me ask a question. Did they at this moment have any reason to praise Jesus? I'm sorry. I'm unconscious. In our modern day, I'd be like, man, I got a concussion. I need to go into concussion protocol. You know? They would bleed out. They'd throw them in a slimy prison. They weren't treating these wounds. They, weren't, they, they had risk of infection. They had all kinds of things that they were susceptible to. They basically, the ancient jails were sewers. They were, they were despicable places. 
dark, cold, wet, disease-ridden, rat-infested, and they're chained there. Having been beaten. Injuries all over themselves. Wounded from by what they'd just been through. And it says, but Paul recognized that midnight was over. Dude, it's midnight. The worst is over, Silas. The worst is over. Paul, we're still in prison. It doesn't matter. And suddenly a great earthquake. God saw their faith. God saw their praise. God heard their song. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Now watch this. Because the people of God will praise in the midnight hour. What would happen? If we began to thank God for what he's doing, even in spite of what we see, what if we began to praise God, even in spite of what we're going through? It says there was a great earthquake. The earth shook. The shaking of the earth itself by the praises of God's people. The foundations of the prison, the very thing that held them, the foundations of what was holding them were shaken loose. And the doors were open and ready. Everybody's bands went free. What if the muteness of the church in this hour is what is in actually inhibiting or pro- pro- uh, prolonging this bondage that we have? Just a thought. Everybody's bonds went free. What if we began to sing? Huh? What if we began to give God glory in the midst of it? The worst is over. We're past the midnight. Sunday's on the way. Friday's gone. <laughs> Our end is going to be greater than our beginning. The latter is greater than the former. Come on. The rain is coming. What if we began to sing songs like that and begin to believe God that way? Could we take his word at face value? And could we believe God that if we sing and we give you glory and we begin to proclaim your name in this nation and we begin to to rejoice again, we begin to sing God, that we believe you that the foundations of the earth itself Everything that the earth has set itself upon would begin to shake. Everything that is enslaving mankind would begin to shake loose. And that the doors and the bands of everyone's lives would begin to open and the light of the world would come in. Can we believe God for that? Can we sing songs when we have no reason to sing songs? Can we give praise when we have no reason to give praise? Can we give praise when we got a concussion? Because light just whacked us on the head. Beat our feet. It would beat you on the bottom of your feet. Imagine. They would beat the bottom of your feet. That's one of the places they would beat you. You can't walk anymore. You can't even stand. But they're praising God. The only one that can keep you from your purpose is you. So you must be faithful. You must must have the right perspectives. Your emotions are going to tell you you're not going to make it. But faith is going to tell you you can. Let me say that again. Your emotions are going to tell you you're not going to make it. You we almost don't need anybody to tell us we're not going to make it. We don't need CNN, MSNBC to tell us we're not going to make it. Our own emotions will tell us we're not going to make it. The only thing that's going to tell you you're going to make it is faith. Faith. And where's faith? Trusting in and believing God for his promises. Nobody around you is going to tell you you're going to make it. Doom and gloom all over the place. Bad news, bad news, bad news. We have good news. We have the glory of Jesus Christ. Same yesterday, today, and forever. An undefeatable God. Instant, in season and out. If he doesn't have it, he'll make it. Need provision? He'll call for it. I speak and the deer gives birth, the Lord says. Need gold? There you go. I call for the harvest and it comes. The issue isn't the harvest. The issue is the workers. Harvest is always there. The issue is the workers. Emotions will tell you you're not going to make it. Here's what I will tell you. This is what faith says. The night is not going to last. That's what I'm going to say to you. I want you to say it to yourself. Come on. You, you need to hear you talking to you. You hear you saying all of those negative things. Your inner monologue is saying all this negativity to yourself. And you know it. You listen to yourself all the time. And so you need to listen to yourself say the right things. Just as much as you listen to yourself say the wrong things. And you need to say this. I want you to say it with me. My night is not going to last. Hope is in my future. Restoration is in my future. Prosperity is in my future. Victory is in my future. Significance is in my future. Influence is in my future. Destiny is in my future. 
And legacy is in my future. You have a beautiful future in front of you. An amazing future. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan of God for your life is a hope and a future. You have a glorious future in front of you. Do not let the darkness overshadow the hope that Christ puts before you. You need to say to yourself, you need to pump yourself up. Pump yourself up. I listen to encouragement all the time. I have to have it. I need people to slap me around. I need people to kick my butt. I need people to get me to think differently. I listen to motivation people all over the place. Why? Because who motivates the motivator? Hmm? Who motivates the motivator? I have to consume this stuff and I have to listen to this stuff. And I have to listen to people who are further along in the journey than I am. And they need to tell them. I was just telling my wife. I was debating some things. I'm debating some things. We're making some changes in here. So Elevator is going to become more experiential. (laughs) Skinny jeans and smoke machines on the way. And so we're making some investments in some things. And we're thinking about doing some other things as a church. Pushing forward. Putting our foot on the gas when everybody's hitting. When everybody's pumping the brake. I want to put my foot on the gas. And I feel like the Lord says yes. So I'm listening to this thing. And I want to pull back. I'm like, and I start freaking out. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because I deal with emotions just like you. And I ask the Lord. And he says yes. But still as a human I'm feeling it. Even though Jesus is saying yes. I'm saying no. Anybody with me here? Oh come on. Anybody with me? You know the Lord says yes, but you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you know he said yes, but you were tripping. And so I listened to this guy this week, and I'm actually asking the Lord. I'm like, he's like, yes, Kevin, I told you yes. I told you yes, 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 yes. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm really freaked out. And I listen to the student. He goes, listen, man. This is a motivational guy. He goes, there's no half measures. He's like, if you're going to commit, then commit. You know, and he says this whole speech about like making commitment and not making half measures. And, and I'm just like, wow. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's it. We're doing it. We're doing it. You need to be motivated. You need to be kicked in the pants. You need to do it every single day if you have to. When I don't, I notice it. I need, I, I like to get myself slapped around. Why? Because I'm my own worst enemy. I'm not talking about abuse and negativity. It's like, pull yourself together, Kevin. Pull it together. You're a son of the highest. You have a mandate on your life. You have a mission. You have an opportunity in your generation. This is the hour of your watch. Be faithful. Don't let fear consume you. Don't let circumstances overtake you. Don't let the negative opinions of the minority affect the opinion of the majority whose name is Jesus. We're so bound by the negative opinions of the minority. Who cares what people think? That's hard. But that's the truth. It's what Jesus says. And you have to motivate yourself. You have to stir up the gift that is within you. You have to fan it into flame. Every day if you have to. And if you can't motivate yourself, then you go on YouTube, you go on iTunes, you find somebody that motivates you. You get five or six people that motivate you. That kick you in the pants. And tell you, you can do it. You listen to it. You pump yourself up. You encourage yourself in the Lord. If it's not in you, then you go find it. And you get somebody else to tell you that. Come on. We speak faith and we give him glory. We're going to close right here. Those of you that are watching. If you don't know Jesus, you are in a darkness that you cannot escape. To the believer, there is treasure within the darkness. But to those who don't know Christ, you are bound in a darkness. The Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. And that Jesus, that light comes into the world. And that Jesus is the light of all men. Without Christ, there is no light. And the Bible says that you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Every one of us is a sinner. We all are sinners. We're all lost. All of us have been bound in darkness. And when we come to Christ, we come to the light. The illumination, the reality, the truth of all that is. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you're lost. You're hopeless and helpless. You can't save yourself. You can't think it away. You can't read it away. You can't psych it away. You have to be transformed. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. All have born sinners. And the wages of that, the payment, the reward of a sinful birth is eternal separation. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ. That's his gift. And he offers it to you today. If you're watching this... You're watching it because God is reaching for you. 
It is a divine appointment if you're watching this and you have no hope in your heart. It is a divine appointment that you're watching this and you've never given your life to Christ. We believe that. And say, how do I do? It's real easy. Jesus has made it so easy. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'd be saved. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking at your heart right now. And he says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll commune with you. I'll be as one with you. This is the reality of the Christian faith is that Christ comes into us and he lives. We were dead and now we're alive. And that can happen to you right now. We're going to pray a prayer. The church is going to pray. And if you're at home, we want you to pray with us. I used to pray. I gave my life to Christ through a television set. Yeah, I was about nine years old, eight or nine years old. I gave my life with my, my grandmother, but one time a guy was given an altar call and I felt like I needed it. And I just began, he said, stretch your hands towards the TV. And I stretched my hands towards the TV. Stretch your hand towards the TV. Towards the computer. Towards your phone. <laughs> We're going to pray. And Jesus is going to do the rest. That's it. Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this. But I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. And from this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. If you did that, we want to connect with you. We want to bless you. There's a party in heaven for you right now. The angels of God, the Bible says the angels of God rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. When one person gives their life to Christ, there's a party. And we want to celebrate with you. Email us, Church at gmail. We want to bless you. We want to encourage you. We want to give you stuff, all kinds of good things. And so we honor you. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Now have a great week. Amen.